This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favorite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalized bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare as we look back on Spurs games against Norwich and Southampton, say goodbye to Christian Eriksen and look forward to the game against Manchester City this Sunday. Well, the good news is that Tottenham are still in the FA Cup after their one-all draw with Southampton on Saturday afternoon, but they will be very frustrated with the fact they have a replay and the late goal they conceded and probably some aspects of the performance. James, did you think they deserved to go through? Probably not on the basis of the whole of the whole 90 minutes. I'd say a draw, a draw kind of felt like probably a fair result. You're right, it's particularly frustrating given we know Mourinho has been so keen to kind of uh, make the most of any three weeks he can to work with the players on the training ground. Uh, and he, he certainly would have had his eyes on that kind of two-week break that it looked like they were going to have uh, after the after the City game. And now he's lost probably the first sort of four or five days of that to this to this replay. But on the other hand, Southampton have been in really good form in the last few weeks and look a decent side all of a sudden. So coming away with a draw, probably not the end of the world. Yeah, I really didn't think Spurs were great. I mean, Saint Spurs did have a few good chances in the first half on the break and if they'd taken them, they could have won easily. But Saints had more possession, they had more shots, they had more shots on target. Um, their pressing was really effective. Like They don't really have the same individual quality that Tottenham do. But they do work really, really well together as a unit. Um, and they kind of wore Spurs down at the end. They kept on chucking on players in the second half, and it didn't really feel like a surprise when the goal came. Like Danny Ings had two really good chances just before yeah. the equaliser. I mean, it felt it felt a lot like if that game had come in, uh, say, mid December, when Spurs were kind of in a slightly better place just after Mourinho had taken over. Yeah. Southampton were doing terribly. If Spurs had gone one 0 up, Southampton's head probably would have gone. Spurs probably would have got a second goal, and that would have been it. I think that the, the mental dynamic has probably shifted a little bit. Spurs have lost a little bit of confidence again, perhaps. And Southampton have certainly gained a lot. So, uh, with that in mind, I mean, I don't think, it, I, like I said, I don't think it's the end of the world to come away from there with a draw. I mean, we've, we've seen Spurs lose there on New Year's Day yeah. only like kind of three weeks before. So, uh, aside from a logistical headache that that's going to cause, I don't think, I don't think it's the end of the world. It did at least create more chances than they sometimes have. Yeah. Like, I know that may seem like clutching at straws, but... Uh, I think there have been a few games where they've struggled to do that a bit, whereas they did look in, in those moves where they created the chances, they did look a bit more fluid. Um, and the uh, the replay is is really frustrating. At least, um, you know, my understanding is that the plan has been to stay uh, and train at Hotspur Way, so it's not going to eat into a trip abroad. So it's not as bad as it might have been. But um, yeah, it's <laughs> last thing they need is extra games right now. Yeah, it was interesting hearing Ralph Hasenhuttle after the game saying that he wished the game had gone to extra time. Yeah. It seems to me kind of obvious that that is what should happen. I mean, particularly between two Premier League sides. I mean, I think Southampton would have won the game if it had gone to extra time. I mean, yeah. it felt like the game had yeah. swung that way and they looked maybe, perhaps, maybe not fitter, but like they had kind of that 
much more drive and they were mentally stronger going into the end of the, the end of the match that probably wouldn't have worked in Spurs favour so that might be why you mentioned that my, yeah my uh, proposal with replays is to make them optional essentially so if both teams before the game agree they don't want one so let's say Tottenham and Southampton in this case no one wants that replay it just seems weird to have a match that no one wants and obviously that way you you're not mugging off the smaller teams who completely understandably you know they really do want replays because they're lucrative and they're great occasions uh, so I think that way would sort of suit all parties and this is a good example of that. I think they had that in in the FA Trophy for non-league clubs and, and I think the thing with that is that obviously these are clubs who have players who are part-time so the idea of a replay midweek it's logistically quite difficult particularly when you've got kind of longer distances yeah um so I think sometimes when the, with the smaller clubs in non-league in that competition, I think they can kind of opt to, to just play extra time and penalties like on the day rather than have the replay. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, I, and, and presumably in my head it would be that both teams would have yeah, to agree, course, obviously, because yeah. otherwise that's unfair on a smaller yeah. team. Yeah, you couldn't have Liverpool strong-arming. Yeah, Shrew- exactly. To exactly. pick two teams completely yeah. at random, you couldn't have Liverpool strong-arming uh, Shrewsbury into yeah. uh, extra time and penalties. Yeah, if there's one, I think there's, if there's one... I think this is something we've said a few times recently, and I think we'll say we'll continue to say through the rest of the season. If there was one positive from the game, it was Giovanni Lacelso, mm. yeah. who was yeah. um, he was really really good. So he started up on the kind of right hand side position where he's played a, a bit recently. And Spurs were in the kind of four one four one with Wink sitting, but the big change came after about fifty five minutes when Jedson Fernandez, who wasn't really in the game, came off. Lamella came on, and Lacelso moved back into this into the middle of midfield next to Harry Winks. And with basically his first action in that role, he went on this amazing run, which has been kind of memed all over the internet already now. So you, will, I mean, if you if you are listening to this, you definitely will have seen it. Uh, and he he beat literally six players, got through the Southampton's press, passed passed to uh, Lamella, who passed to Son, who scored. And afterwards, Mourinho was talking about Lacelso, and he basically said, "Spurs will." Uh, exercise their option to sign him permanently this January. I would be amazed if that didn't happen at ten. I think ten thirty-seven on Fridays when that will happen. I, that's my prediction. I guarantee that's what happened. I was thinking with that, and and because that was our understanding before that that would be the case. But I almost feel that they could have made a slightly bigger deal out of that. Like I, I know it's you know it, it was a no-brainer in a way, but it still feels like a really positive thing that they've got. You know they've got this guy just as he's. Uh, you know, really coming into the best form since joining. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it was in the summer, obviously, the big two big midfield signings were Lacelso and Ndombele. And in the first few months of the season, Lacelso obviously had that hip injury and wasn't playing, whereas Ndombele was kind of playing in fits and starts and had some great games. And it looked like he would be the guy who would be most successful over the course of the season. But since Mourinho's come in, Lacelso just got better and better and better. Like he's been, he's definitely been their best player of the last month or so by a mile. Whereas Ndombele clearly has this issue with fitness. Uh, you hear a bit about attitude and application. Um, and so it's Lacelso who's been really the success story of the two. Yeah, completely. And I thought it was, you know, Mourinho slightly taking credit for that. You know, how he said he, had, he'd, he hadn't really played before. And it's like, well, he had been injured. And then actually he started Pochettino's last two games. And was good, like in that away game in Belgrade. He was again, he was Tottenham's best player, and he was also probably the best player against Sheffield United. Um, again, it was a low bar, but he, he impressed then also. I'm not saying he's as good yet as either of these two players, but he's kind of he feels like a bit of a pleasing blend between Modric and Moussa Dembele. As kind of elements of though, he's like somewhere on the scale between the two. Yeah, like he's more physical than Modric. Uh, but maybe slightly more sort of nimble than Dembele. Not to say that Modric couldn't put himself about or, and that Dembele was just a big lump, but you know what I mean? He's like on that sliding scale. Yeah. He's kind of halfway between. It's it's good because he's. I completely agree. Like He's got this kind of 
Ericssonness in his ability to pick clever passes and those like the kind of clever little reverse passes that other players just just don't see. So he's got that he's got that ability to play the incisive pass, but he's also got that kind of wriggliness, like the the, the ability to evade tackles in the middle of the pitch, which was ultimately Dembele's great skill. And it's what Lascelles did against Southampton, and he's done it a few other times. And that's you know we all know how vulnerable vulnerable Spurs are against teams that press them since Dembele's left because they've got nobody who can really keep hold of the ball under pressure except for I think really Ndombele and Lo Celso but I want as Lo Celso gets more settled into the team I think Spurs will finally have like a different option to break through other teams pressure and perhaps a creative replacement for Ericsson yeah and and also I think he does put a shift in you know he, he is someone and this was something that uh, was apparent at Betis as well he is someone who gets around, makes tackles, wins the ball back, often in high areas, like that's how his goal against Middlesbrough in the replay came about. So, and, and, and again, that was something Ericsson, who we'll talk about at his best, you know, he was always someone who covered so much ground, uh, would win the ball back and things like that. So it's kind of another way you hope maybe the Celso will step up. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands including established names and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time, because we do the shopping for you. And you'll enjoy top styling tips from our experts. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co dot uk forward slash athletic. So it's currently Monday morning and Christian Eriksen is still a Tottenham player, but he's in Milan just being mobbed by Inter fans at the airport and he you know he, he will obviously sign for Milan later today so the, but by the time you hear this listeners he will no longer be a Tottenham player um what do we think about this whole saga like Jose had a bit of a moan on Saturday about how this shouldn't be happening on the 25th of January but it seems to me like a fairly normal transfer uh it probably is a fairly normal transfer but I think for a football club when you lose one of your your best players in a protracted fashion which hasn't really been a thing that's happened to Spurs for a while. Uh, it, the, the better players that have left, probably. I mean, Walker. That didn't really. I mean, that kind of been going on a little bit, but yeah. it wasn't like kind of window after window. It was July when it happened. Yeah, as well, exactly. Wasn't it went it? quite early in the window, and Spurs got a massive fee. It kind of felt a bit different. Um, this has clearly gone on since after the Champions League final. Yeah, I think Ericsson was quite open about wanting to seek a new challenge, as he put it, which you know for various reasons you can kind of understand even if it is frustrating for Spurs uh, the biggest frustration obviously will be that they couldn't get the money over the summer and yeah. sp- spend that money on other players which clearly they need um, and also kind of move on because I do kind of get the impression 
with Ericsson and maybe a couple of other players that, uh, as we kind of mentioned last week, that know they're not going to be there for much longer or feel like they're not wanted, that that's probably causing some problems in the dressing room. Maybe not like actively kind of, you know, causing issues, but it, it can't be a great place to be when there are players that you've played with for a long time and you know are about to leave. It must kind of feel a bit weird. Mm. I, I just feel like it's it's felt like time for a like a fresh start for a while for the for the team. And you know, this might kind of be the start of actually kind of moving on. I don't, I don't know. It may be a bit fanciful to hope that Ericsson leaving will actually improve Spurs because that's probably not really how it's going to work. But, you know, you never know. I felt that in that Watford game when you had Ericsson on the bench, Dyer on the bench, Rose not in the squad. Um, a, you know, it felt like, is this the start of that kind of much needed or much talked about overhaul? But also just the potential value they could have got for those three players you know had they sold those three when they were really at their peak I don't know a total of what a couple of hundred million yeah, you know and, and, and what are they going to end up with you know for those three total probably not a lot um, the other thing I think that's been interesting is what you guys think of Mourinho's the fact that he's played him knowing he's leaving I mean that's I think that's upset a lot of fans who feel you know what's the point of having someone in the team when you know he's going or is it just, well, you may as well maximise him as much as you can? I can kind of see why you try, but there have been so few moments this season where he's looked like anywhere approaching his best. Yeah. So the Newcastle game where, uh, sorry, the Aston Miller game, Middle the first on, yeah. game of the season, where he came on and Spurs were losing 1-0 and he didn't actually get an assist or a goal, but he felt like he made quite a big yeah, difference. He, really he changed the, the game, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, I mean, really, the, the Norwich game over, over Christmas, uh, away, where he scored the free kick, um, but other than that, hasn't really felt that there have been many moments that he's looked like in, anywhere near. I, th- I think the Southampton home game actually, when Spurs went down to ten men quite shift early, he, he put a shift in as you say, he set up one of the goals. Actually, he was, he was very good in that game actually, to be fair. But other than that, it's been it's just been. Free kick at Norwich to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, goal, the goal at Norwich. He just got he scored another goal in the Premier League this season. Um, he got one away at Belgrade. Yeah. the last one which was deflected. I feel like there might have been another one in the Premier League as well that we've clearly neglected. Possibly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that the Norwich home game, which uh, will ultimately be his last game for Spurs, is kind of sort of summed up the way it's gone over the last... It's a shame that he got booed off. He got booed on? Booed, booed on booed and on. booed <laughs> on. Yeah. Um, um, in his last games for Spurs because he's yeah. been such a good player for Spurs it, it is I mean I, you know people I, I'm not going to defend people booing him by saying they're booing the situation because obviously that's <laughs> bollocks but I, I do think that is kind of borne out of frustration at the thing having dragged on for so long well, as much as kind of him clearly being way off his best I think that's true and I think the fact that he's continued playing ties into that Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. frustration at, and rightly or wrongly you know and whether that should be directed at him or the situation but yeah. um, I think that's fed into the sense that it's kind of dragged on and they just want it to be over yeah. I mean, especially this month knowing he can go you know, you'll see when, when this gets tweeted and it may have happened by the time you hit, hit, listen to this the, the reaction from Spurs fans on, on to that tweet is, isn't going to be you know shock and anger and disappointment it's going to be sort of mostly relief and people will be disappointed that he's gone obviously because he's a fantastic player but I mean it it's feels it's felt for such a long time like this is something that has needed to happen. Yeah, and it's, it's really derailed the season. I mean, it's done a lot of damage, really, and, and that's not a criticism just of Ericsson. It's it's all parties really for yeah. not getting the deal done that clearly needed to be done over the summer. I remember after the um, the infamous Colchester penalty loss in what September, when. 
Pochettino was asked about this and he referred to people having different agendas at the club, meaning that, you know, not everyone was on the same page. And, you know, the implication being that the fact that he was left with a squad which included players who either wanted to leave or the club had tried and failed to sell in the summer had really undermined the unity going into this season. Now, this this comment went down very badly with a lot of Spurs players because they thought, well, hold on a second, Mauricio, you've, you know, you, you're responsible for the team. You lost, we lost against Colchester with a changed team and you're here hammering the players. But I do think, like a lot of stuff around the kind of decline of Pochettino, I do think Pochettino's like overall analysis was correct. I think that having the situation with players who didn't want to go or who they tried and failed to sell, or both in some cases, um, did disrupt the harmony of the squad. And it's I, at the start of the season, I thought, well, if as long as they've got Ericsson, they've got to keep playing him because he's their best. He's one of their best players. But in reality, I do. I think, in fact, it has it has kind of not spoiled the season, but it has really hung over the season in a really yeah. kind of distracting way. Yeah, he, he didn't. He. I mean, I would have thought the same as you. He didn't strike me as someone you know like a Berbatov who was going to kick up a real stink, drag his heels, really not apply himself properly in training or, or, or in matches. Um, you know, I assume that if he was there, you know, once the 1st of September had been and gone and the, the European window had closed and he was going to be here for at least the next four months that you'd kind of see him get somewhere back to his best. But if anything, he probably dropped off more after that. Yeah. The other goal he scored, which is quite bad that we forgot, was Arsenal away. Arsenal. I mean, that's uh, it. Yeah. That was probably actually his best performance of the season. He was very good in that game as well. Um, and that was the 1st of September, I think. So just before yeah. the window closed. Yeah, it was. That yeah. was like the peak of his season, basically, was that game. I mean, it is that classic thing, isn't it? We hear it all the time, but, you know, f- footballers being humans. And, you know, if you've had your heart set on something, your dream move goes, it's not even yeah. that you're going to down tools. It's just that... That's a big blow, you know, mentally to then pick yourself up from that. And yeah. when you, in your head, you know, when you've like thought you're leaving a job, you do, you know, you, that becomes a reality and then it doesn't happen. And it's like, okay, you've got to, you know, re- recalibrate. And there was probably an element of that for him. I, I mean, my, I think my biggest emotion is almost sadness that he's ending up playing for Inter. Yeah. It's kind of annoying that he's gone there. I mean, it's like a totally inoffensive choice. It's not like he's gone, you know, it'd be worse if he'd gone to another Premier League team. But the fact that we've had all of this and all that's come out of it is he's moving to a, a team in Italy who are, are, are basically throwing away the title as we speak. I think they're now like kind of seven points behind having been top just before Christmas. And it's, you know... Was it worth well, it I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not kind of... Uh, without wanting to disrespect Ashley Young, who gets way too much thick yeah. given what he's achieved in the game. But he's like 36 and he's just gone to Inter straight into the team. He got an assist at the weekend. But it's, uh, that's the standard of player, you know, Ashley Young and Victor Moses. Do you think... It's Olivier Giroud. It's just... Alexis. It's like, you know, like a Chinese Super League team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just... He, he's ended up going, you know, they'll, they'll be... They're far more likely to be in a Champions League next season than Spurs. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can question that. But I don't think he's going to win the title there. I mean, I could be completely wrong. I, I, you know, maybe they'll turn it around this season and end up getting over the line. But I just... To me, it's a really underwhelming choice. Quite, like we said, it's quite a sideways move. Do you think yeah. Spurs fans would... If Ericsson had got his dream move, which would have been uh, Real Madrid or Barcelona in the summer for, let's say, 100 plus million euros. Do you think if that had happened, Spurs fans would have been, fair enough, that's a step up, we can accept it. And and the fact that it's not that is what has... Yeah, I mean, I think... I do think the main thing for fans is that you get, you know, you see that money come in that can be reinvested yeah. in strengthening the team. And obviously, we know from experience... <laughs> that doesn't always work and there's a very high profile incident of that that saw Ericsson come to the club in the first mm. place uh, so I mean I suppose you could argue in a way that that did actually work out well um, but 
yeah, I. I mean, you know, I, mean, I mentioned Berbatov before, and he left in far more contentious circumstances. And last summer, he played in the Legends match at the new stadium, and before the Bayern game or half time in the Bayern game, um, he was brought out mm-hmm. and you know got a nice cheer, and then I've interviewed him at half time and whatever else. It, having kind of been booed and abused when he when he first came back to Manchester United twelve years ago or whatever it would have been, people do kind of forget. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I think in time it probably would have been fine, but I do think this prolonging of it is probably going to make it that little bit worse. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, Spurs seem to play into every kind of ten minutes over the last decade. Played them so many times, so I'm sure that will come up again. Um, that does, all, but also like someone like Coutinho is a, a parallel, and you yeah, know, he did get that dream move to Barca for a huge amount of money, and I think you know the that is a big contrast. You know, I think there's a broader acceptance and also there's just like, well, we've handled this all right. We've got a lot of money for the player. And obviously over time, it's gone, it's looked like a great bit of business because they've reinvested it really well. Yeah. But I think even then it was like, well, okay, that's that's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, I think Spurs fans are probably quite pragmatic about that now. They're used to seeing that happen. It, and as we mentioned before, it's not happened loads and the most recent one was Walker. Um, but, you know, having joked about that bail thing before, actually, I mean, uh, you know, they got eighty million pounds and in, and then ended up spending sort of one hundred and ten, I think it was, on those seven players. And uh, you know, ultimately, I think you probably say that was a decent deal in the end. Yeah. Only how, Lamella remains now. Only yeah. Lamella remains. How do you think Ericsson's legacy at Tottenham will be remembered, or how will he? I mean, I think in the end it will be fairly. Po- I mean, definitely massively positive. I think you can't escape the fact he's been one of the best clubs uh, one of the best players in the club's modern history you can't kind of you can't rewrite history that that spectacularly I don't think you know that, that you know the stats are kind of on their own are obvious enough and all those moments that he's been involved in that have been like the biggest things that have happened to the club in decades uh, yeah pretty clear yeah I think he's been an amazing player so when he if you look back when he arrived in 2013 that was when Spurs were still in the process of trying to establish themselves as a kind of regular top four team. I know they had those two fourth place finishes under Harry Radnap, but they weren't really like a presence in the top four. Uh, and they had some fantastic individual players, but what they lacked was kind of coherent structure, identity, a proper manager as well, which they didn't, I mean, they had AVB at the time, uh, who didn't turn out to be the proper manager they were hoping for. But then in his kind of six and a half years at the club, Ericsson, he's obviously not been the most important person for this, because they've also had, you know, you'd look first at Pochettino, Kane, maybe Dembele as well. But Ericsson has been one of the most important people in, I think, turning Spurs from being a kind of outside contender into being a kind of permanent presence at the very top of the Premier League. Kind of third, second, third place finishes, 86 points, uh, Champions League final, and all this stuff. It would kind of be, all all of that stuff would have been impossible without Ericsson. It's not to say it would have been impossible. Yeah, there's other people without him it would have been impossible too. But I think Ericsson was one of the most important players to that. And also in terms of, giving the team that kind of intelligent coherence on the pitch which is the mark of a proper team Um, and I think think we're just allied as well to that drive and determination and you know distance covered he had that intensity that was emblematic of that Pochettino team as well completely yeah like he's like James said if you look at the stats for most chances created most assists most big chances created in in the Premier League since he arrived He's top, or even since if you count more recently from like 2015, 2016, he's ahead and of often he, up there for distance covered, yeah, and things like that. Even ahead of people like David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, who we look as being the best creative players of the last few years. I think he's probably been, I'd say, Spurs' second best player of the last decade behind Kane. 
Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I can't believe, you know, Bale was particularly spectacular in those first, like, three years of a decade. Um, But, you know, you're talking about longevity and maybe a slightly more subtle uh, success, a slightly more subtle approach. Is that probably would rank Ericsson ahead of Bale. I mean, I think that's quite a difficult question. Yeah, well, I mean, Bale, that particularly in that last season, he was good in a couple of years before that. But it was it was insane. That was the highest individual level I can remember from a Spurs player. I don't, was was Bale in that season? I, I think Harry Kane's probably gone past that. I think. In, Do you think in, in a, a couple of seasons? Season? I think so. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Let me the number of goals he scored in a couple of those seasons, and he's you know he scored in bri- like brilliant goals as well. That's Kane. True. Not just not just tap-ins. He's you know he scored loads of absolute rockets. It was partly because of ha- where Bale was relative to the rest of that team. Yeah, like, yeah. he was so yeah. much better. And so in, and I think back to like, that West Ham game where he scored two goals from yeah, miles yeah. out to win a game three two. Like, and he was doing that week after week. Yeah, Leon, Remember, Newcastle, Le- end of season Southampton, and they like back yeah, against yeah, Pochettino yeah, Southampton. Yeah. And they're like backs to the wall for like eighty however many minutes, yeah. and then he just gets it. You know what he's going to do? He's going to cut inside and smashes right, yeah. it. And it was yeah. th- he did that so many times. Favorite Ericsson memory? Uh, I mean the goal at Stamford Bridge, probably yeah. maybe, um, mm. which was like part of the ending the hoodoo which was like 27 years or whatever it was at Spurs had on one at Stamford Bridge I mean that was an absolute rocket as well uh, the assist in, in a game that Spurs lost to Chelsea in FA Cup the semi-final yeah. the oh, Deli Alley yeah. they're kind of it's like deep sort of arching I yes. mean kind of a cross but it's sort of a fruit like aerial fruit but I don't know how you describe it yeah that, that. was an incredible it's an cross. incredible ball like a ludicrous angle and Ali's like read it perfectly and made an amazing run yeah. scored the goal um I mean, yeah, the fact that he he's capable of scoring amazing goals and sort of providing ludicrous yeah. assists. I Juventus mean, away, little, yeah, Juventus away. I mean, he was really good in that yeah. game as well. The two yeah. assists when they destroyed Conte's Chelsea at White Hart Lane. Yeah, January the two Yeah, I think back to that fourteen fifteen season um, when Spurs were just start, that. I think it's Pochettino's first season, and it was I think it was Swansea away, pouring with yeah. rain, last minute winner, and it felt like turning Spurs from being. Yeah. You know, they'd had a stuttering start and a pot a bit flaky, and suddenly we're winning these quite hard away games late on. Yeah, and it was like, like yeah. and he, he did that a few times yeah. that season. Actually, there's another one from that season, which was the, the League Cup semi final against Sheffield United, where oh, yeah. he scored on a, like a ludicrous free kick, like kind of at a weird angle, like over the wall, over go, the keeper, like into the far, like curling yeah. into Be- the far. Beckham place. did it against Everton in his last game for United. Oh, that's right. Where yeah, you're like, on the right. And you it looks like a position it. for a left foot, yeah, but yeah, exactly, you're right. He yeah. did it across the keeper. Uh, and then Spurs went two one down to two goals from Jay Adams, who I reckon must have been about twelve. Uh, and suddenly looked like they were going to lose a semi final to a team in League One. And then Ericsson kind of pops up with this really cool finish, like with his left foot, like across the keeper. So he sort of skids it across the turf, uh, and Spurs get to the League Cup final, where they also lost to Chelsea at Wembley. Um, but you know, the memories are still there. <laughs> um, so we should move on to transfer. So this is obviously part of the transfer window, which has what four days left to run. Um, it sounds from reporting in Holland over the weekend that they're close to signing Stephen Bergwijn from PSV Eindhoven, um, which kind of came out of nowhere until I think a PSV coach announced it himself on Dutch television that this was close to happening. Um, what do we think about this one? Well, James and I were talking about this before, like. It seems like a really exciting signing. Um, you know, he looks like the kind of player who'll get the fans on their feet and, um, you know, do special things. You know, maybe wouldn't have been both of our first priority of where they should strengthen, but, you know, they probably do need that that profile of player as well. 
Um, and yeah, I'm sure like most people listening here, you know, predominantly what I've seen is highlights packages of him where he looks absolutely incredible. Uh, but, you know, those YouTube packages will do that. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it's an exciting one, definitely. He's, he's the right profile of player for the club to be signing, I think. Because we know from experience they're not going to compete for like the very, very best players of the very, very best clubs because financially they just can't do those deals. But, you know, a player playing for one of the top sides in a league like the Eredivisie, um, who's clearly very talented and has, has played in the Champions League as well. Um, he's 22 years old. He's clearly got like a very high ceiling in terms of potential. You, know, you throw him into a squad with guys like Don Bele, Lo Celso, Winks, still I think only 22, 23. Uh, Sessignon, maybe Foyt, Sanchez, I think is 24. Tanganga. Yeah, Tanganga's 20. You know, suddenly, you know, for all the talk of there needing to be a massive rebuild, actually, you can kind of look at it and say, yeah. well, it could actually be like quite a good group of young players there already. And you do, you know, you, we all know, we don't, not everyone agrees that they need to sign a right back, but I certainly think they do. Um, you know, maybe they need like a shorter term left back option before Sessignon's up to speed. Maybe, who knows? And the centre back is clearly. Still a problem of concern. There's something not quite right there. But it feels like it's an exciting signing. I think it's, it's they do struggle to create chances. And, you know, like you say, it may be that they have to play like on the counter-attack a little bit every now and then. And a wide player with a bit of pace who can drop a shoulder would certainly certainly help. That would help as well in the short term, sorry, before Kane comes back as well, just having more of those attacking options. And look, no one's saying he's going to play as like a, a striker. Yeah. But, you know, having lots of pace having three players who can interlink and play different positions, that is a very effective way of playing. Are we, what else are we expecting to happen in the last few days? Well, I mean, out, there'll be some outgoings probably. So Walker-Peters, uh, we understand it's between Southampton and Palace. Um, that'll be a loan most likely. There had been talk of a permanent deal. I think a loan will sort of suit everyone for now. Wanyama is a player that Tottenham have been trying to get rid of for some time. He very nearly went in the summer. Uh, the deal collapsed. Juan Foyt, who we reported, uh, was unhappy with the lack of game time. Um, and that was sort of in December and he's barely played since. So, you know, that's a possibility. Danny Rose is another one. Um, you know, there are a few Premier League clubs uh, interested in him and we understand the interest is real. Um, and then it comes down to what he wants to do. And that's... Um, that's a big question. He said in November he's not going anywhere. Obviously now he's fallen right down the pecking order. He's not getting in matchday squads. And I think it's the Euros coming up that could uh, force his hand because yeah. no chance of playing if he's not playing for Mourinho was asked about this on, on Saturday after the game, uh, why Rose wasn't in the squad. And he said, not injured. So yeah. um, it says a lot about how, how Mourinho sees Rose and the likelihood of Rose playing for Tottenham any time again in the future. Well, this is the thing. I mean, like, cause we reported that he wasn't injured for uh, the Watford game a week before. And at that point, it, you know, I certainly felt, wow, that's that's pretty big. Um, you know, a few days before that, Dennis Serkin, exciting young player, was in the squad, albeit for an FA Cup game. So you could say that's just giving him experience. But... Um, yeah, it doesn't look like he has much of a future under Mourinho anyway at Tottenham. And then at the end of the week, we've got uh, Tottenham against Manchester City at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday afternoon, which is going to be a really, really exciting game, I think. it's So it's City's first trip to the new White Hart Lane since 
the Champions League game in April, which was only, what, nine months ago, and yet feels like a totally yeah. different era. Mm. Yeah. How do you look back on that? On that game specifically? Are we, we going to see a repeat? Are we gonna see no, a repeat? no, definitely not. Tottenham were really good that day. <laughs> they were really good They were that fantastic. Day. And it is quite strange to think that, I mean, the team probably won't be massively different. I mean, obviously, Ericsson, you assume, isn't going to yeah. play. Um, uh, Kane, Kane off, played, yeah, he like went an off. hour maybe. Yeah. So it probably won't be a, like a hugely different team, but it, or, or it shouldn't really be a massively worse team. But it just feels like uh, they're so far away from being on that level that yeah, uh, it's just that that really does highlight how quickly it's changed. I think that I think that was maybe the last. I think that was the last great like classic Pochettino display under Pochettino. So uh, over ninety minutes, I know there were there was kind of nothing. I know Ajax is obviously an amazing. Yeah, but that was kind of a bit of a sort Ajax, of the Hail amazing, Mary thing, wasn't yeah. it, I think. Yeah. That was kind of freakish, I think, ultimately, Ajax. Whereas, even, I know Aguero missed that penalty, but Spurs... Penalty Spurs, was saved, actually. I should, yeah, should fair enough. Up. Spurs did batter City over the course of that 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah physically, they were really good. They had that yeah. physical intensity, which was like 2015, 16, 17 Spurs, which they didn't really have so much in 2018 and 19, and that was what made it so cool to see them playing that way in that game. It'll be It'll be really interesting as well, the way they set up because I think Liverpool the Liverpool game which we talked about at length and was obviously quite divisive um, whether they do something similar uh, you know whether they are a bit more on the front foot I'm sure they'll play I'm, I'm, I would be I'm, I imagine they'll probably just park the bus just because well like I don't really I don't, really I don't see think Mourinho needs do. a second invitation to do it and I think given his record against Pep in the past and given how good City are I know, I know they're not having a great season but they've had like like glimmers sort of, of really good performances yeah they've kind of here clicked into gear a little bit more in the last couple of weeks it's felt like you know it's got six at Villa and four fair enough against Fulham yeah. it kind of feels like they might sort of slowly kind of be coming mm. back into their best form you know probably with the eye in the Champions League rather than the Premier League we were talking before we came on air about um, that run of three consecutive league wins that Spurs had over City so that was um the 4-1 in September 2015 uh, the what's known as the Clinton and G assist game yes uh then in February 2016 where they went to the Etihad 1-2-1 Christian Eriksen scored big memory for him and it felt briefly as if Spurs were kind of might nick the title of Leicester and Leicester lost that same day to Arsenal, yeah. Arsenal yeah. that's when Arsenal uh celebrated like they'd won the league yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and then sense. lost their next like three yeah. games and Just then of course in October 2016 Pep's first defeat in English football where Tottenham won 2-0 at the old White Hart Lane that one was probably actually the best performance I think that was a really Definitely. that was a really complete complete performance when Spurs were probably at their absolute peak. That was like the only good performance from Sissoko for like the first 18 months he was at the club. It probably like maybe second or third game possibly. He was really, really good that day in midfield. That was also such a thumping that it knocked the stuffing out of City for a few weeks. City were rubbish after that. They then went on this, having won, I think it was the first like seven league games under Pep or something. They then lost that and went on this terrible run and it was as if like they'd been found out almost. They'd been shown up by Pochettino's Tottenham. It's funny because the two goals in that game I don't think were like it didn't feel like they were sort of tactically crafted goals because there was no. like Otamendi own goal from like yeah, a yeah. sun ball across maybe an alley and the alley really yeah nice finish. they were quite, they nice were quite messy goals yeah but they did they just kind of steamrolled City in yeah. that classic Pochettino way and it really felt at that point as if Pochettino had kind of got Guardiola's number of course it didn't really you know we know that City improved after that and that was the last time that Spurs beat City in the Premier League yeah. The, yeah. the funny thing looking back at these games is that so we were looking at the 4-1 in September 2015 and if you look at the teams 
from that game, which I'm literally just bringing up on Soccer Base. Um, assuming that Ericsson is so claiming Ericsson still is a Tottenham player, ten of the Tottenham players from that game were still in the Tottenham team: Lloris, Walker, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, Davis, Lamella, Dyer, Ali, Ericsson, Son, and Kane. And that was four and a half years ago. It is crazy. It, I mean that. I mean that kind of underlines the problem, doesn't it? Completely. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and then City was. So, so the City team is quite funny because it's like... I, don't, I feel like you read this defence out, it does take, kind of diminishes that result <laughs> yeah. quite a bit. It's like um, an asterisk. So the thing about the City team is it does get better as you get as you go further down it. Uh, Caballero, Sanya, Dimichelis, Otamendi, Kolarov, Fernando, Fernandinho, De Bruyne, Yaya Toure, Sterling, Aguero. With Pellegrini as the manager still. Yeah, that, so this was Pellegrini's last season. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I know we do this a lot on this pod where we just talk like, oh yeah, remember how, good, how much better Spurs were three years ago than we are now? <laughs> I mean, it is true. It's true. There, there is no getting past that. But like you say, I mean, that really does kind of highlight the problem that, that, that they haven't done a good enough job as a club. It's not necessarily just for Pochettino. They haven't done enough as a club to kind of freshen up the squad yeah. and to keep things kind of ticking over. And you know, as you say, there are lots of players in that city team and squad that are still at the club but they're the players who are still performing yeah. and, and, po- and a heck of a lot who aren't as well yeah, well, yeah. Like, and Pochettino knew this like Pochettino knew that you couldn't he couldn't have the same set of players for, for, for five years in a row because they would just get tired and he uh, he knew that he had the players had to change if he was going to keep the team performing to a high level so, you know as you can see from the example of Atletico Madrid but it didn't happen. He didn't get it. This is the classic kind of sad for Pochettino. <laughs> <laughs> Lament uh, for Pochettino. tone on this podcast, which has become we need we need basically we need Tottenham to improve so we can say some something we other than, we need so Spurs we can do win. something other than like this whole kind of sad vibe. Like a Mourinho sort of ground out one 0 win on Sunday, running onto the pitch. Yeah, a la that game in the uh, new Camp with Inter. Yeah. that's what we need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Show that they're new. Defiance that they have. I mean, it won't happen. Anyway, well. <laughs> yeah. But we we will be back uh, at the start of next week to look over that game and see if Mourinho did park the bus or whether he managed to get um, you know get City's number in the same way that Pochettino did. But that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much, James and Charlie. Thank you, producer Tom. Uh, for ad-free podcasts, make sure that you subscribe to the Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a forty percent discount now by using the code. Spurs pod. Mm-hmm.